Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this month, we're highlighting our staff members here at the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. This episode features a conversation with Pam Wiseman, our Executive Director. Well, thank you, Pam, so much for joining me today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe when you started with the coalition and what your position is now? I came to New Mexico in the fall of 2009 to be the executive director of the coalition. I had never been a director of a coalition before, and uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. But I guess the fact that I've been here since 2009 suggests that maybe, you know, that was a good thing for me to do. And I hope for the coalition. That's really important, too. Would you mind explaining a little bit about what your role of executive director does for maybe somebody that wouldn't know? So, you know, every director of every coalition, there are 50 coalitions, does a little something different, right? Some coalition directors are financial whizzes. That's not me. And some are really good at programming and services, and some are good at communications. And so, Some are good at structure and having new ideas and grant writing. So they're all different. And I think for me, what I've been able to contribute probably is is new ideas, I think, for how we could better meet the needs, how we could grow, how we could develop, how we could make an argument to funders about why what we are doing is important and and, and how it could be improved. So that's been my role, I think. And, and also a little bit of, you know, there's always strategy involved in any, you know, organization. And so thinking about, you know, what direction should we take and how are we going to get there? So I feel like it's sort of a, you know, at the 30,000 foot level a little bit, right? And then there are fabulous people thank goodness, and yourself included, who are able to implement projects and programs and run with things and operationalize all the, you know, ideas and thoughts. So it's totally a team effort, to say the very least. And um, I, I think that the people that work here are highly capable people. And I think anyone listening to this, I hope would have a great deal of confidence as they should in the staff that that we have. So what do you think is one of the most important aspects of your job? I don't know if it's one of the most important aspects, but it's something that I do and I focus on. It's not something I have always wanted to focus on or do, but it's something that I do. And I think that's making sure that we we kind of stay on track. When you have an organization like GARS, 
which is a statewide organization. You have people who are your members, people who provide services to victims and to offenders, and you have the entire system. You have police and you have judges and you have prosecutors and you have stakeholders, people who do mental health counseling. You have legislators and politicians, right? So you have lots and lots and lots of interests from all around the state. And trying to manage those is probably harder than you might think because it's you, you want to find a way to be clear about what you're doing, what you can do, what you don't do. And yet you, you always want to meet as many needs as you, as you possibly can. So I think that's been my role to sort of make sure that we do the best we can for a variety of stakeholders and that we focus mostly on the people who are on the ground, in the trenches, providing services to victims, to children, and to the people who commit domestic violence crimes. That's where uh, a lot of the real work is, and that's, that's really where we've focused. Where did you start your career in domestic violence, and what made you get into this line of work? I actually began my career in domestic violence in 1982 or three. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? You weren't born yet, I'm pretty sure. And I didn't intend to. When I was in college, I had worked at a crisis line and I had done, I had been an empathy trainer, right, of all things, right? So I had a little background kind of in human services. I had a psychology, you know, degree. And when I first got out of college, there was a recession. It was a big one, right? And there were no jobs. And so I saw in the newspaper, that's when we looked at newspapers to find jobs, an ad for a domestic violence shelter. And I thought, a domestic violence shelter? What is that, right? So I applied for it and I didn't get the job. And they said, but you can volunteer. And I went, okay, why not, right? So I started as a volunteer. And then I became kind of a case manager working with clients for a little while, and then a volunteer coordinator, which was a job I loved, and then an assistant director. And then I wound up as the executive director of a multi-purpose domestic violence, uh, sexual assault, DV offender treatment, substance abuse service program in Illinois. And I was there for 20 years, actually. So I thought it was time for a change and um, saw this job and that's what happened. So I didn't have any special reason to get involved with it. And I thought at the time that, and for many years, it's like, I don't really even know anyone who's been a victim of domestic violence, right? Of course, that turned out to be ridiculously untrue, right? I knew lots of people, lots and lots of people. I just never thought of it that way. So I had to learn about domestic violence, what it was, who it affected, why it happened, what to do about it, all of that as I went along. So I was a little behind in learning about it. I didn't have any real personal experience, you know, with it, but it was something that, I don't know, has power and how did they use it and what does that look like and what does it mean? All of that was really interesting to me. That's amazing that 
you just kind of stumbled into the field and then it ended up being your entire career. Right. right? (laughs) Nobody else would have me. So I guess that's what happened. I don't know. Well, I think we're happy to have you here. So So my next question is, what is something that you're really proud of or excited about right now that we're doing here at the coalition? Right now, I am really excited about a new initiative, I guess. It's one we should have embarked on a long time ago, but we didn't for a variety of reasons. And that is that we know that the system, the criminal justice system in particular, is not working the way it needs to, to protect victims of domestic violence. And it hasn't really for a long time. This is nothing. It didn't just happen. But it seems like, particularly during the pandemic, it got worse, I think. So our our new project is a coordinated community response project where we got special funding from the legislature last year to spend this year and in an ongoing way on bringing people together law enforcement and you know prosecutors and probation and judges to try as best we can to make the system really work. And, and what we're trying to do is to keep people safe and we're trying to hold offenders accountable. And that seems obvious, right? But when you don't, when people who commit crimes such as domestic violence are not held accountable, and by that, I don't mean they have to go to jail, but they're not really held accountable in any meaningful way, they don't stop their violence. In fact, it gets worse. And so a message has to go to people who commit violence from the community that it's not okay and that it's not something that a community wants or will tolerate. And that seems simple enough, and it is. And if it happened regularly and all the time, domestic violence would undoubtedly go down. But it's a matter of reaching people and it's a matter of systems supporting that message all the time. And so that's really what I think, you know, we need to focus on. And that's why this project, and again, thanks to the legislature for funding it, I think is so important. And so that's what I'm I'm really looking forward to. Kind of along those lines, what part of the work that you're doing are you most passionate about? Well, I think what I just said, and it's been different at different times. You know, there was uh, for a number of years, I was very interested in, and I still am, battering intervention programs. I, I actually ran groups myself for 10 years for people who committed domestic violence. And now we've really expanded that too here in the state and, and nationally. We're actually known, New Mexico is known as a national leader in battering intervention programming. And I think most people in New Mexico don't know that, right? Lots of people don't know that. And I was just told the other day, you need to say that more often. And I said, yeah, I probably do. So yes, we're, we're considered by people all over the country as leaders. And we have developed a large network with 50 states and the majority, I think, of domestic violence coalitions like ours around the country. Um, and our goal is to be of service to the larger field so that the field of battering intervention has been 
challenged repeatedly to demonstrate that they're effective in what they do. And of course, that, you want that, obviously, but they haven't, they have lack of voice, a credible group to speak on their behalf. And so what I'm really excited about is that I think we have done that. One of our staff people who you interviewed had a lot of connections, and I think we are making that happen. The other thing I'm just proud of, I guess, or not proud of, but happy about, is that we were able to get funding for Animal Protection New Mexico to help domestic violence victims find places for their dogs or cats or horses or lizards or whatever it is to stay while they were in shelter or, you know, had other issues with domestic violence. So I just felt really happy that we could do that. And, and we've been doing it since 2014. Again, we got money from the legislature. We got money specifically, I'll name her, from Senator Nancy Rodriguez, who ensured that we were able to, uh, to fund those services to help people's animals. Yeah, that's such a wonderful thing. Because, yeah, it's like we want to try and prevent any barriers for someone seeking services. And that's a big barrier, right? People Absolutely. are not going to leave their animals. Yeah your, yeah, your pets are your family. And if you... Yeah, not going to leave them. Yeah. Especially with someone abusive, right? Yeah. So if you could change one thing for survivors in New Mexico, what would it be? It would be that their experiences would be really taken very seriously. And... I had to be careful about saying that because I don't want to imply that people think it's not serious or they don't pay attention to it. But I think the part that they miss is that victims of domestic violence are threatened by people who have abused them. And it isn't as if they can just come to a court and say, oh, yes, he did all these horrible things to me, put him in jail. It really never happens. And so victims of domestic violence are uh, expected to talk to a judge or to a court about what's happened to them, but without any support and without any protection. And so they're vulnerable and they're not often going to do that because it just places them at greater risk because very rarely, very, very rarely is somebody who commits domestic violence incarcerated or even really discouraged, truly, truly discouraged from harming someone again. And so so it's not safe. It's like if you were going to testify against the mafia, right, they give you a, you know, a fake name and put you behind a screen and move you to, you know, Tucson. I don't know why I said Tucson, but, the, you know, move you somewhere. But that doesn't happen. And then people blame, blame the victims. Why did you recant? Why did you say, oh, he didn't really do it? Why didn't you come forward? Because there's a lot of risk there. And we need to understand that and provide for people to be able to come forward. And we haven't done that. It's not just in New Mexico. It's no place in the country that I can think of. Have we ever sufficiently done that? My next question is, if you could change one thing for programs in New Mexico, what would it be? Well, I know what they would say, and I would agree. They need resources. They must have resources. What they are being asked to do is incredible, right? Whether they're being asked to, you know, get someone who commits domestic violence to stop, think about that. They are being asked to end 
violence. And for that, we will give you $14 an hour, but no benefits. But you will make $14 an hour and you can work five hours a week or whatever. And that's absurd, right? I mean, the idea of trying to change people's behavior to end violence is enormous. And we should spare no resources in the effort to do that. One incident of domestic violence probably costs thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars more, right? And so, if you can stop a person, just one person, right, from committing violence again, it's economically smart, right, to do that. So that's for offender treatment and for survivors, the barriers they face, right? Housing and employment, especially housing now, child care, trying to find a place to be, to be safe. The barriers are incredible. And we have these programs who were just underfunded, right? They answer the crisis line, they provide shelter, they help people through the court system, and they try to help them be safe, they try to help their children be safe. And grow up well. And that's, I can't imagine a more important job. And to give it short shrift, it is short-sighted. And so that really needs to change. We have to think about domestic violence underlies so much else. Crime, poverty, homelessness, lack of, you know, education on down the line, generation after generation after generation. And we should spare no expense, you know, because if we fix that, we fix a lot of other things. Yeah, I can say that's definitely like the number one answer to this question is is resources. And it's not like, oh, we don't have the resources. We definitely do. It's a matter of deciding that that's where they should be channeled. And so some of that's on us. Right. We have to do a better job of really showing how domestic violence is connected to all these other larger, vastly more expensive issues. How do you take care of yourself? Self-care is an important aspect of how we show up for the work that we do. So how do you take care of yourself? I mean, I do things like I like to be outside. I like dogs. Uh, I like to read. I like to write. So I guess I just do things that I like to do. And a lot of what I like to do actually is to, to read about the work I do, right? It's not like it's a chore. So I, uh, I mean, I certainly have had my moments, right? Where I'm like, oh, this is just, I'm too tired, right? But it goes away quickly. So, I mean, because I've been doing this again since 1982. Not very good at math. So I don't know. That's a long time though, right? Is that 40 years? 40 years. Yeah. So, so I guess whatever it is I've been doing, it probably kind of worked out. So, or I, or I would have been gone. <laughs> yeah, it must be working. <laughs> I guess it must be working. Yeah. Thank you, though. All right. Thank you, Pam. Okay. <laughs> we'll do this again sometime. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. 
please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.